Hi, I'm Phoebe Lovett, and this is Deep Read, a podcast where I have conversations with big thinkers about big ideas. Every episode is accompanied by a further reading list, which you can find at phoebe.substack.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. Today's conversation is with Missy Flynn, co-owner and founder of beloved London restaurant Rita's. I've been eating at Rita's since it was a pop-up in a rowdy Dawson nightclub and have dined at all its iterations since. Most recently at its current home on Soho's charming Lexington Street, where I hosted a salon in the restaurant's lovely courtyard garden back in August. As fellow born and raised Londoners, the conversation between Missy and I inevitably turned to the city, our thoughts on its past and present, and our hopes for its future. We also spoke about what social media is doing to dining and food culture, the joys of eating out in New York City, and the books Missy turns to when she's craving food for thought. Excuse the pun. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Good morning, Missy. Good morning, Phoebe. <laughs> um, I was just saying, I feel like we need to set the scene a little bit because we are sitting in the corner of... Um, uh, the standards hotels library lounge which is very cozy but we're in a kind of amazing booth that feels a little bit like a, a double-decker bus which i'm sh- assume is the intention it's quite bus vibes yeah but i mean it's, bu- it. it's popping in here it's kind of like really bustly it's quite nice it's very bustly it's and we can see gorgeous um what is that <laughs> euston road outside <laughs> another stunning day in england <laughs> the highlights yeah this is actually That's quite nice. an epic view though as as they go do you know what I mean? There's, yeah, I mean, what's the that view, building called? The, the, the Renaissance. The, that's the, the Renaissance Hotel, yeah. And I remember that um, when it was a train station because that's where we used to get the train to go see my grandparents in Nottingham. And I used to think it was like absolutely like magical. I mean, it building. is like it's the model insane. for the... It is the Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. And But do you remember this when it was a library? No. See so you? Yes. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, well, I thought that maybe you would because, you know, our shared um, history is that we grew up, like, in central London. and But maybe I was a little bit closer to this than mm. you were because I grew up You're literally... Washington, right? No, I grew up in Brussels Square. Oh, so yeah. I was probably, like, a six-minute walk from here. Crazy. So maybe it wasn't my absolute closest library, but it was probably one of them. And I do remember it being a public library and certainly when it was a council building. I actually didn't know it was. It was oh, you didn't know, I it, was didn't know that it was a library? No. Yeah, I feel like I do a lot of PR and <laughs> telling people that they did a really good um, homage to the original library by putting in this fantastic, um, fantastic, like, curated library. But anyway. Yeah, I, I, used, I used to go Charing Cross Library. Cause you, so you grew up in Soho proper, right? Yeah, so I grew up in, like, well, in Covent Garden. But I have to say, I did also move a lot. Mm. So I have to kind of be honest that I also lived southwest for quite a lot of my growing up. <laughs> but I feel like from 12 to 14, living in Covent Garden, that's where I really That's like. quite formative. Yeah, 12 I to like 14. Because yeah. tw- probably 12 to 14 is when I started walking into Covent Garden on my own. Maybe even a tiny bit earlier, actually. Yeah on Saturdays that was like how I spent my teenage Saturdays walking to Covent Garden with my friends just look at the shops weird shit on the market yeah I loved it so much yeah I mean it was like the heyday of like um, hanging candles and like floating you know like beads and (laughs) so was uh, gerberas in frames so (laughs) really really was you're like really bringing back a lot of memories who goes on holiday to London (laughs) and comes back wherever they're from with a 
gerber in a frame yeah it was um it was a different it was a different vibe obviously you know central london's always had somewhat of a touristic element but i do feel like Covent garden soho you know in in our era mm. <laughs> back in our day not that long ago was just a very different place that but i don't crazy. know you spend every day in soho now so i do which i'm really grateful for actually i'm really happy that i get to spend so much time in town it's kind of it's grating on me a little bit at the moment. Why is that? Because it feels um, like, I hate to say it, but it feels like it's about to really change in an irreversible way. Mm. It makes me nervous because I'm you, such a, you know, I, I'm such an advocate for like this, you know, I, I love cities and I, and I do love London. I love, I have a business in Central and I love it. Mm. But, but the worst thing for me would be if it changes beyond recognition, do which you, I've seen happen to other cities and like. Oh God, yeah. Do you mean in terms of like lots of sort of corporate commercial? Yeah, and just the vibe mm. in terms of what's possible. Yeah. Um, like I was in New York recently. And New York is obviously changing. You you know this probably way more than I do, way more intimately. But like New York, Manhattan has changed vastly, and everyone mm. who sort of lives there says so. And as a guest, you can, as a visitor, you can feel that, you know, in, even if you go like I do once a year or whatever. But what I realized, I still look around and I see lots of independent businesses. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I think is kind of like key. Yeah. And I'm starting to look around central London and I see less and less independent businesses. And that's stressing me out a little bit. Yeah, I think that that is something that's really n- unique to New York's sort of landscape is that as much as it is a big you know corporatized commercialized city also has this kind of phenomenal um like dynamic of of new independent businesses replenishing themselves Mm. constantly i'm not saying it's not easy for them because they seem a lot of them seem to disappear quite quickly as well but but that's just part of a cycle there whereas here it's like a much more extreme about this before but like closure and failure is such an extreme right um phenomenon whereas there it just feels it's like just turnover part of it. it's part it's of turnover. the life cycle of a city 100 percent. and i think here with what worries me is that london is becoming closed off to even the possibility yeah. of trying out something yeah for one year or two years and you just really have to yeah there's there's always i'm actually going to new york on tuesday and there's like oh, yeah. always such a long list of new places that have opened to try and you can't eat that much. It's, it's impossible. impossible to eat that much, but also <laughs> it, it it does it does make it feel exciting, you know. Like mm. there's there's always a a bunch of of even just new cafes or new sort of like gimmicky like snack shops or aside from fab restaurants, and in London, and I would obviously count your restaurant in in this number. When people come to town and I, they ask me, "Can you recommend somewhere where I'm going to get a good meal, but also I want a bit of a vibe?" Mm. The list is small. <laughs> Do you think so? I think so. I think so. I think I agree. I think... but Considering I, the size of the city. Yeah. I feel that I agree um, kind of objectively. Or not, is that, maybe that's the wrong word. But I f- my feeling is that obviously we have lots of friends in restaurants and yeah. peers that own restaurants. And I do think there are great restaurants in London. Mm. But I think it's hard to find places that are genuinely fun. Mm. and cater to a certain type of person yeah that is neither like a you know bougie influencer kind yeah. of, you know that those places are they exist and they fulfill a purpose but they're yeah. not somewhere like you or i would go yeah and then on the other end there's sort of nice places that have 
good food and nice cooking and nice ceramics or whatever, but they're just not, they don't feel culturally rich mm-hmm, to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's what, if I feel like that's the challenge. That's because what New I mean. Yorkers, especially when they come to London, it's hard. And also they love ripping on our food, obviously. Which and is it, unfair. It's unfair because the food here, the actual cooking the and actual the food, food is and good. the produce is yeah. brilliant. But spaces, I think our knack for social spaces and yeah. like, you know, indulgence social spaces is behind. Yeah. Because we don't feel like we value them or need them as much or well, something. Like, I don't know what it is, but... Or the energy's not there to make this, the environment feel... Or there's less disposable income to fund it all, maybe. I think in well, New York... There's, there's definitely In that. New York, obviously, a lot of people are making a lot of money. Yeah. They're busy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they don't want to go home. They want to go somewhere fab and they don't mind paying a hundred dollars a head e- to eat well, it's a dinner it's a completely different economy isn't it yeah. you, you make money and you give it back essentially yeah. but yeah. in in that exchange you kind of have a full lifestyle which yeah. is probably quite exhausting for people who exhausting. as someone who's lived there but Exhaust- really fun yeah fun. something I've always thought was you know my dream I think increasingly I realise that you can't really compare New York and London you at all you can't actually no. because you know, you can't ignore the politics of the two places either, and like the ec- economic structure is completely different mm-hmm, mm-hmm. entirely. We've jumped ahead a little yeah, bit because um, people it. listening <laughs> might be like, Who, "What are they talking about?" Um, but I also think that you know, at this point, your work with Rita's, your restaurant in Central London, as aforementioned, mm-hmm. you know, is is certainly in London very well known. You've been doing it for a really long mm. time <laughs> in various iterations. Yeah. We've done events what feels like a lifetime ago in a different venue of, you know, a different setting of Rita's with a different kind of menu. And obviously there's through lines, but without, you know, sort of making you spend an hour going through Mm. every, every single set of Rita's, could you broadly fill people in on what is, what is Rita's? Okay, so Rita's is currently and hopefully now forever, uh, for a long time, a restaurant on Lexington Street in Soho, London, which is a really nice, charming little street in the centre of town. It started many years ago, as you say, as a pop-up in a nightclub <laughs> in 2012. We did our first event together in 2013, I think. Jesus. At, maybe a little bit later than at, that. Or maybe 14. It was in Mare Street. Street. Yeah. So we started as a pop-up, a, a collective of friends, um, myself and three guys. And now two of them are no longer part of the business, but yeah. Gabriel, my partner, is. Um, and we, we just started a kind of pop-up restaurant because yeah. we all loved restaurants and all variously involved in kind of nightlife, entertainment, cooking, or, Mm. you know, I'd worked in restaurants my entire working career, and it's still the only thing I've ever done. And actually just quite young, 22, 23, it kind of just felt like at the time when everyone was just throwing parties, we were like, we'll do a party, but our party's gonna be a restaurant. Mm. We're We're gonna contribute to the nightlife scene here, but instead of throwing a rave, we're gonna throw a restaurant, and it's just gonna be, you know, five days a week or whatever. So it just started out like that. And then we moved into a, a restaurant space on Mare Street in Hackney and kind of had a great little moment there. But as I think we've spoken about before, um, struggled a little bit from, for the, with business and took on some kind of questionable partners and basically all fell apart there, which was obviously painful, but mm. was so long ago now that I'm, I'm yeah. kind of over it. Um, and then after a little hiatus, we've done a few little projects. We've always done catering. We've always done sort of various small pop-ups and things but that's never really ever been what we wanted I've always wanted a a space like a permanent space so we tried not to do too much of that but we opened a deli called Bodega Rita's just sort of like a 
lower price point access level uh, lower price point um way of accessing the food that we want to do which by the way i should say is kind of loosely north american influenced and Mm -hmm. was definitely more so when we started out and i think now for various reasons which actually be quite interesting to talk about um kind of diluted into more just like i i I struggle to use the words american around ritas anymore which Mm. uh, has come about from various things but i just think it's a bistro it's like a neighborhood neighborhood bistro seasonal um honest cooking fun mm-hmm. um so yeah so we opened the deli and then in the pandemic we signed the lease on this soho restaurant in 2020 so actually that's like a eight-year journey from beginning in the nightclub to signing mm-hmm. a lease on the soho restaurant which is in probably my entire working life today <laughs> my, my it's, it's pretty much my entire adult life right is having this thing rita's but does it it must feel now i mean you're booked and busy mm. and as i said much beloved do you, do you feel <clears throat> like okay i'm glad we stuck with this because mm. it's paying off it's paid off for us in a way i don't mean financially because yeah. i'm sure that that's difficult just like every industry is yeah. difficult but i mean you know you like cool we stuck with it and we we knew yeah. we wanted something yeah yeah i posted this really i posted a, like a video yesterday because we've just had a really exhausting couple of weeks we also mm. do this restaurant at freeze every year freeze art fair and it's just you, however well you prepare it's just one of those things that it is exhausting and yeah. by the end of it six years now we've done it i'm like i fucking sorry i hate <laughs> i hate this i can't do it i hate serving people i start yeah. like unraveling every element of what this job is to me yeah and i decide i hate it all and i don't know what i'm doing um and then I have a nap and then I wake up and I'm like, <laughs> no, it's actually sick. Rita's yeah. is like the number one. It's like, you know, to me, although there are loads of independent restaurants in London, I think Rita's, because of the longevity, yeah. it's like this poster of like mm. independent food business. I mean, there are others, obviously, that I love and, and really respect, but you can't deny 10 plus years of sort of 100%. being around it's kind of synonymous with the with the energy of like the kind of independent food scene here in mm. London. And I know that it influenced a lot of people to go out and start their own thing, Yeah, um, for better or for worse. But um, yeah, I feel like we've stuck with it to a point where if the last bit of Rita's is this restaurant in Soho, that's an incredible journey. That's like yeah. from start to finish, you know, it's a good it's, yeah it's a good it's, it's a, a good, good narrative number. arc yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and like that and that could be it and I, but i do think about opening we think a lot about opening another one and it come i, I think coming back to what we're saying about london i'm really unsure if that's yeah. what i want but yeah but that leaves us in a bit of a conundrum because it's like when you do put 10 plus years into something mm. you build it and then you're like the next bit of it is not another one right it's got to be something else yeah which is where I'm at now. Trying to bit, figure out that quite, next. It's quite, it's quite daunting, but it's quite fun. I mean, I'm lucky that the restaurant actually has paid off and it is a profitable restaurant, which is like maybe crass uh, to say, but also like, but I'm so bored of saying that it's not profitable. That it's yeah. nice that it, you know, it's not, we're not rolling in it, but we've done some really smart, like business decision making and we've really worked. We've really, yeah. really learned. We've taken the hits when they come myself and Gabe have just like really put energy into like fostering a good culture hopefully and Mm. getting better at business and it is paying off like Mm -hmm. that's a massive massive reward so yeah I feel like as much as it's good to kind of spotlight that the restaurant industry is really 
struggling. Yeah. It, you know, See, it's nice to also celebrate a little bit. Which makes sense your, your because own, the economy know. is a mess in this country and lots of people are struggling, mm. cost of living, etc. But every time I go into any sort of busy hub in London, everywhere seems packed out. Yeah. I can't reconcile that. But that's the thing, that. who are those people? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, don't know. I mean, from? I can't afford to eat in a restaurant three, four nights a week, but some people must be doing it pretty regularly yeah. because then also when you go to try and make an, a, res- a reservation in a restaurant you want to go to it's often quite challenging yeah it is it's interesting I I um I think about this a lot because I'm I'm very conscious that doing like a small not inexpensive hard to book reservation uh, hard to book restaurant in Soho is is essentially an elitist yeah. endeavor yeah. I'm, I'm very conscious of that you know like charging people 14 pounds for a cocktail the reality is that's how much that is genuinely how much you need to charge to stay in business mm. and it's not even you know to make money i need to charge 18 to stay yeah. in business i need to charge 14 right. so like we make those decisions really like um thoughtfully but i do think about it a lot who can afford to go out to eat yeah how did i end up in this space where the things that i care about have culminated in actually kind of an elitist potentially elitist outpost Mm. of all the things that I care about, which are good food, you know, social spaces, all these things that feel more socially driven that don't necessarily feel like they should come with a price tag, which is sort of why we did the What would the alternative be for you in that space? Well, I mean, it would be like, I I don't know. Like even, you know, my mum lives in a a city in southern Spain and even their prices have gone up. Do you know what I mean? And those people aren't trying to do anything trendy or some of them are actually. But, you know, like they're not necessarily trying to create a buzz. They certainly don't have a social media presence. They've had to put their prices up because everything is more expensive. So I don't really know what this sort of like more egalitarian version looks like. No, it's true. I, I think it's more about how you run the business. That's sort of yeah. where I'm at. I'm thinking, look, I want to have a I want to have a restaurant in Soho. I want to provide that special experience. I want to have a place that people come and drink martinis on their birthday and yeah. you know, have, and like indulge. I really really right. think that's what restaurants are for in that in that space, as well as just the other side where you just sort of there to nourish and to like support. You know, more like community style restaurants, but. I think the difference is how you work. And I think this is true of all industries. I feel like it's that tension between being kind of like a like an inherent capitalist mm. and like being from a city and wanting to have money for your future and, mm. you know, think about personal security and enjoying holidays and, you know, being open about the fact that you like nice stuff mm. and also wanting to provide something that feels meaningful and valuable to other people mm. yeah it's it's I don't, I don't know how I, i'm not in a service-based <laughs> business but i'm sure that that is a very uh fine line to to walk as mm. it were um I, I think also just going back to something we said at the beginning of the conversation i think the fact that london's food and restaurant culture is I don't know it's kind of it's um it does feel quite recent i remember being a teenager and being like probably quite precocious and thinking all i really want to do is like go out to nice dinners with my friends i can't wait till i'm old enough to do that like but did you start doing that when you were quite young because i feel like i did i mean i kind of did but i don't really think my friends valued that kind of experience as much as i did so not that much yeah um 
I also just think that there was less, there were not that many restaurants in London that perhaps I would have wanted to go to for the reasons we're saying, like that there still aren't an incredible number of restaurants which provide both good quality food and a sort of vibe and a scene in the way that in New York, there's 10 of those in every neighborhood, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I don't, and, and that maybe I think when, you, when you're talking about like the first iteration of Rita's where you had the, you're serving the food in ber- birthdays, <laughs> um, which was fab, yeah. but like that was very original and innovative at yeah. the time because no one in London was really doing anything like that with food, making it fun and sexy. Mm. And I think, um, you know, like you say, we're still sort of, we're still feeling the lag of that, like, even now. Yeah, I think it's, I personally feel that it's become too serious all of a sudden. It's mm. almost gone, we missed the bit in between. I always say this, I'm like, um, I think London moved too fast. And like, for example, from that, we didn't ever really develop a street, a real street food scene. We've got like street food, but like in markets that you have to queue up for or like mm. buy into. I think, you know, why can't we just have and this goes down this is sort of more that kind of egalitarian sort of thing of like why can't people make work for themselves low cost to entry just by buying a truck and selling you know the American equipment would be tacos or like Mm. whatever people want here like full English and whatever like whatever they want yeah why can't we encourage a food industry that is like gives creates work for lots and lots of people Mm. at, at various levels like a lot of other places do yeah I think we sort of like had a chance in London and I mean that comes down to legislation and like the uh, food safety laws here are like obsessive I mean yeah. it's really boring stuff but it's just like so obsessive and restrictive yeah it's also why can't you get food after 10pm anywhere in London it's just ridiculous 11, unless you want a kebab what's that about we'll I know see. can you explain I know. that and, but the thing is that is a, is a political thing yeah or you know some kind of bureaucratic nonsense yeah that has totally informed our food culture yeah like people if you want i agree if you if i'm hungry after work it's usually gabe take me to the drive-thru like mcdonald's because <laughs> you can't I eat anything or china i mean like, actually we're in t- it's <laughs> quite a lot um luckily we're in town so we can walk through chinatown, chinatown. which is amazing but like you're right why can't you eat late i mean we, we until recently we were Europe like yeah. you know you can people don't go out for dinner till 9.30pm in most of yeah. Europe it's cultural and I think all these small choices about how we position food and how we position social spaces here really really intrinsically inform British culture mm. and food culture I think is so damaged by all of those things when you say how we position social spaces what do you mean by that just like you know opening hours yeah um licensing laws things like that you know when restaurants can be licensed to what spaces can be licensed at all i think it just you know i feel like if you think about the the british culture and attitude towards food and drink and like eating out and drinking out of the home it's all responsive obviously as as everywhere it's all responses to or like a response to the legislation around how and when you can do those things Mm. Mm mm-hmm and I just, I just feel like, I just would love to imagine that there could be some more expanded way of like enjoying f- food in this city that yeah. isn't locked up in those rules. And Where's the city that you visited aside from New York where you've really enjoyed how the food culture operates? Well, or I just a place. came back from Athens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
I had a really good time in Italy this summer because I just think they don't tolerate bad food. I mean, there's obviously I, bad food everywhere. Yeah. But my my feeling was that it's like an unwritten rule, like you better not make bad food. So pretty I much everywhere spent you go. I have a huge amount of time in Italy. It's my like most unexplored part. Well, really? not my most unexplored part, but yeah, I think because my mum has, has lived in Spain for a decade, I've just yeah. gone there so much. <clears throat> when I, you know, when other people are going to Italy, I just always go to Spain. Yeah. Shout out Spain. I do love Spain, yeah. but I'm, so I can't really speak to Italian food culture, but obviously people seem to like it. I just think people are so obsessed. They're like, well, no, it, it just better not be bad. Like, I mean, it looks cannot, incredible. You cannot. We actually went to a really lovely wedding in Tuscany and then came back and just went back the following weekend to pretty much the same place. No way. It was my birthday and Gabe was like, where do you want to eat? He was like, where do you want to book? And I was like, you know, what? I actually just don't want to book a restaurant. And that isn't my own sorry and bring a bunch of friends to come and spend you know x amount of money on dinner just doesn't i'm just not excited by it and that is a problem for me i do feel there's good food in london but i don't feel excited to go out very often neither do i and this is my point this is my point it's like i'm exciting people always think of me as like a restaurant foodie person which i think is a misunderstand not a misunderstanding Mm. but maybe more conflated with the fact that i love to travel and Mm. certainly love a good restaurant and i'm not saying i don't care about food but i increasingly i'm like when i weigh up how much it's going to cost me to go out to dinner in london i'm like there's not many places i feel it's worth it to be quite frank because I don't know. Maybe I have. Maybe I have become like less of a food, you know, foodie than I than I once was. Mm. But I just, I'm just like, okay, this is gonna cost me, you know, best part of a hundred pounds. Like, where am I gonna go where I feel like I've had a night out? And because yeah. I do want that, and, yeah. and I don't mean, you know, I don't mean like bells and whistles and adornments in the restaurant or anything gimmicky. <laughs> Cabaret. I'm like, I want, I want bowl service. I want <laughs> s- sparklers. Um, <laughs> I mean, just a vibe, an atmosphere, yeah. you know, a sense that I've had an experience. But do you feel like in New York you would have tolerated bad food in exchange for like a night out? Like, I actually you... think controversially the food in New York is overrated, but the restaurant experience isn't. Yeah, I agree. I completely yeah. agree with that. Like, I think the food in LA is incredible. Yeah. The restaurant experience is mostly dire. Yeah. <laughs> but the food itself is phenomenal, and I actually prefer to eat in LA. Um, it's maybe it's more suited to my palate as well. I mm. like like Californian flavors, Mexican flavors. Yeah. Um. But I feel. But that said, the- I'm like, cool. I'm going to New York next week. I'm definitely going to go out for an expensive dinner because where are you going to go? It's going to be a vibe. I'm not sure yet. I'll wait. See. I usually follow. I defer to my friends on the ground because yeah. I think, and this is something that I wanted to talk to you about as well. I mean, obviously, so much of a a thing that's had so much impact on food culture, restaurant culture, is social media and yeah. Instagram. And it's. I mean, I find it like mesmerizing. I'm sure you must find it even more so watching like all these TikTok creators and Instagram creators and they all talk in the exact same way and they oh edit their gosh. clips in the yeah, exact it's same way. Funny. I find it so funny and like how they go to these places in London and they like, you know, they go and get whatever. Like I was watching one the other day, some new like Smashburger places opening. Oh yeah, Soho. that looks really good actually. That's by Supreme. It does look great. It looks really good. I'm going to try it at some point for sure. But just watching this guy like experience it. I was like what what black mirror are we living it like, is very black mirror it's so insane and, mm. and but I won't I won't lie like I consume a lot of that content I was reading an interview with someone the other day and they were like you know I like it's like my way of having a meal without gorging myself on food that mm. I don't need that's kind of I do get mm. that like vicarious pleasure out of watching someone yeah. else eat something delicious but um equally 
I don't trust lists anymore. Not in the way no. I used to. Yeah. I certainly don't trust Google reviews in the way I used to. No. Um, well, we always, I'm trying to work out the right way of saying this, but like basically from our restaurant, we get amazing reviews on Resi. So Resi is the app yeah. we use to book. Yeah. Amazing reviews. You can have a week, and this is annoying because they're not public. But I always send them to, on the group yeah, chat it's to like the I've staff. Yeah, like I've never seen a Resi. You can't see them, but right. I send them to the, the staff because I'm like, you're not going to see this. But you can get a week where you get five, 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 you know, whatever, 100, 100, it's out of 100, so you get amazing. And people really write a detailed response because they, you know, they, they take the time. And if you have a bad, and people have a bad time, generally go to Google. So it's like, we've got a couple of <laughs> shoppers on one. Google. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, good girls go to Resi, bad boys go to Google, <laughs> or whatever it is. But it's like, if you've got, because people want it, people love an audience for yeah. their issues yeah I've stopped reading them I had to turn them off the whole I think the internet is I understand the like vicarious food TikTok stuff like it serves a purpose for somebody but I, I have to it's like ruined restaurants for me mm. I think it's also why I actually don't feel uh, like if I'm if I'm like okay what should we eat tonight I'm looking through if I go on Instagram I think I leave it like not hungry I'm like maybe mm. it's because it fills you up in that way and you're like yeah the you're kind of um mentally already experiencing the thing so you're not you don't have for an sure. appetite for you're it like or gorging on something and a lot of the food that people make is quite rich or heavily flavored you yeah know, obviously because that works a lot better on social media yeah. than like a plain piece of fish but we had to take a dish off because of social media why because it just didn't photograph well. no because people would only come oh. to order this garlic bread that we did Which when we first opened it was just like was four no, it's nothing <laughs> yeah it was good but oh it was like a four knots of bread like a Parker <laughs> House roll American style really yeah. lovely fluffy bread um, with this oozing you know green butter on the top it was very like you know yeah. food porn friendly yeah. it was quite sort of like M&S advert like mm -hmm. you know the butter would just fall off and yeah. all the little buns looked like little bottoms and they were like yeah. you know like really, it's quite sexy but like it was just garlic bread. And I know that there are restaurants and businesses out there that like try to cultivate, they're like, what's our dish? What's item. our dish? Yeah. It's a croissant mixed with a- um, Donut. With a, do a donut mixed with like a rice pudding or whatever it is. It's like, try so hard to come mm. up with that stuff. And we don't really work like that. It's just like not our world. Mm. And it just went off on TikTok and people would book a table at, for two hours to photograph a garlic bread, that's it. <laughs> and they would take pictures of other people's food to like bulk out their. It was crazy. What like walk over to their yeah. table? Walk around the restaurant, and take pictures of other people's food with permission. No. What? And they come in and they take pictures of the staff when they're working. And like I asked a girl to put a camera away the other day. I was like, look, we're all just work. You know, like I'm so run down. My my I'm like stressed. Like yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. I don't really want. I'm just doing my job. And no, like this, yeah. I think what's happened with the internet is it's made not only the food public purchase but like the people doing mm. it as well yeah, if you have an open kitchen that makes sense you're kind of courting it yeah. if a server is just walking around a room carrying plates of food who like no one knows what their day's been like they've come to do a service job it never used to be that just to do a service job you also needed to be like happy to be on camera and then it actually is distressing you're sort of like oh I feel like shit today I look like shit I can't, I don't, I, like, I don't want to see the TikTok when I'm, you know, they're in your face. Mm. And, and so I told a girl recently, please, you know, we're just trying to do our jobs, can you not? She left a Google review saying that I was rude 
And I was like, but this you're rude. Sign you booked a table. outside um, Jolene on Redchurch Street, a very Instagrammable yeah. coffee shop, yeah, yeah, which actually it. serves fantastic pastries pastry, and yeah. coffee. So it's not just a visual thing, but they it is very cute and very yeah. London. And um, they've got a sign saying, don't take pictures of our staff. So maybe you, interesting. Need, you need a sign. Have they? Yeah. But is it interesting? Why do people photograph so much stuff? It's not interesting. I mean, I'm just interested in, in general, not to say I've never taken a picture of my food or put it on social media. I do a lot less oh, than me I... Too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're like, yeah, that's half my job. Um, it, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be dis- disdainful of people who document food, and I'm sure you don't either. But I, I also wonder, like, this kind of obsessive documenting and the, and again the way that food food is now like shared online socially i'm like what there's something there's something beneath this like and it's more than just appetite mm. there's so i haven't quite figured out what it is but there's really something driving it i mean i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure partly it's just that food content tends to um do really well on social media because it's like accessible and uh, aesthetically pleasing and you know hypothetically anyone can go and eat go and get that Jolene croissant mm. or eat your garlic bread or whatever it is in a way that you can't necessarily go on a holiday to the Maldives or yeah no but I, I think I think what's happened is people think they're supporting the business by doing that but mm. actually like in our in our instance like taking a table up for two hours taking it offline for two hours basically mm. and coming and buying a £4.50 garlic bread is guaranteed to put us out of business. Like that will 100% put the restaurant out of business. Mm. And trying to explain that is really difficult because the narrative now is everyone's like, well, I'm actually doing your mark. I'm actually amplifying your profile. I'm like, well, yeah. I'm sorry, you've got 300 followers. You're not really, yeah. not do- I appreciate the effort, yeah. but like you're just not. And it's, you can't really, as. I think businesses can't really engage in that. It doesn't feel like a two-way conversation. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the same of other industries, but I think food is food is specifically of interest to me for obvious reasons, but also as an industry, it's kind of why I went to do that master's is because... Yeah, I was going to ask um, you about that. It's almost like, for me, one of the last manual industries. Like, you cannot... There are elements of the restaurant industry you can kind of digitalize or you can kind of systemize in kind of like an online way obviously in the pandemic like delivery apps and pre all this kind of stuff but fundamentally the main bit of what we do which is cooking Mm. fresh ingredients Mm. turning them into dishes and delivering them to people cannot be changed like it cannot be apart from like robot restaurants you can't it's it's to me feels like the most uh, it's like hot the most like um analog kind of like manual last frontier. I've literally got a question about yeah, this on so, my list for so you. So I'm obsessed with that kind of thing because I'm like, hang on. On the one hand, I'm so happy that people value restaurants enough to be like, oh, I appreciate the design. Oh, I appreciate the cooking. I appreciate the plating. I appreciate the crockery. I appreciate the fact that like the job that I've done, for example, for 10 years, which used to be kind of like, you know, when I started working in restaurants, people, British people didn't really work in restaurants. Mm. Obviously now because of natural wine, everyone loves working in a restaurant because they can be a natural wine expert as a bi- as a, like a bonus. But back then, nobody would. Now, obviously, as a kind of like work choice, it's much more sexy. But it's inc- it's just a completely yeah, like I said, analog, manual sort of space. And I and whilst I appreciate the kind of value that people are putting on it as a creative industry as well. I almost feel like the creative attack on food and restaurants is what is what will kill it because yeah. 
the internet doesn't you know and actually if you see all the dishes that you want to see or you get the clout that you need from posting or buying or eating one dish Mm. you're not gonna you know you don't need to eat at the restaurant again or you don't need to become a regular or if you've got a massive list of places you need to tick off for content you might not build a relationship with restaurants and I think that it's just diluting people's um, engagement with those spaces yeah it's really true. deep level it's and true so you know I'm, I was saying to Gabe I was like can we just have a social media break like I just you know there's one restaurant actually that I really like in New York called Servos yeah and I realised that they only repost other people's posts they don't do their they own they don't do content. their own yeah which I thought was really cool yeah it's that thing of like um, I'm sure it saves time <laughs> saves time I'm sure cheap. I mean if you look at my phone it's like 70 pictures of it's like chunks of the same plate of food from different angles. And it's actually really boring. I'm going to, I'll be honest, like some elements of my work, I'm, I'm trapped in this bit where I'm just like, this I is I think boring. everyone feels like that about social they do. media and whatever. In, and like, I think jobs in general and work. So I, I mean, I get it. It's, it's, <laughs> That's tedious. it's tedious. I always think that about um, Jackson's, Jackson Box's yeah. Instagram is like so beautiful. I don't know if he's doing those photos himself, but there's just an endless. He must reel have of, a ghostwriter. Real of beautiful photos, <laughs> yeah. but I'm and and he makes his. F- I mean, his food is delicious, yeah. but he really makes it pop. Yeah. Um, on Instagram, I hope that what that works for him business wise. Um, I'm sure it does. His restaurants are restaurants that I also always recommend to people yeah. because I think there's something idiosyncratic about the way that you know he operates them, and they feel. They feel of London and they feel like, mm. you know, not just, I think there's so many restaurants, not just in London around the world. It's almost pointless to say it because it's so obvious, but just, they've just created some formula of like what it's supposed to look like, what kind of menu it's supposed to have. And you go and it's just soulless. It's yeah. so soulless. And it and because food is really expensive now, aside from the fact the food tastes like shit or is bland or whatever, it's just... I, it really feels like a massive waste of money. <laughs> Jack, Jackson was involved at Rita's at the, at the very beginning. Well, yeah, he we no was. longer work together, obviously. Yeah. But he was involved. He was the four of us: um, myself, Gabriel, Jackson, and Dino, who did Real Gold. And like to to think back at that, to think back on that as like four people, yeah, who could have done and did something really yeah. fun in food. It's like so. Um, it's it's one of my fondest memories so you know yeah. things change and our relationships all change and mm-hmm. it's not change for the better and you know that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. part and parcel of life but in that moment it was so great to work with somebody yeah who was clearly able to do that and shared a passion mm. and i think you know both of you and like as much as we've slightly shit talked London today, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> not shit talked. No, I just. <laughs> but you know, we we we. I think we're both we we're Londoners. We grew mm. up here. We were born here. I'm invested in it, and that's the reason I care. And a lot of a lot of times on this podcast, I end up talking about London. Like you, I'm very interested in cities, so mm. it's just naturally how my brain works to some extent. If I was in New York, I'd be talking about New York. If I was in LA, I'd be talking about LA. I'm like very engaged with how a city is changing at any given time, especially one that I'm living in. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate people like you guys who work to like keep making a city mean something to mm. people. You know, I think there's a tendency to just give up peace out, especially now. Like you say, so much culture is digital. Yeah, there's no real impetus to do hardly anything except perhaps, as you say, make and serve food in real life yeah. because it's nearly always more cost effective, more efficient to do a digital version of it now. So people who you know like go out of their way yeah to to do something 
to contribute to the city they're in, I I appreciate personally. Yeah, I no, I appreciate. And I hope too. people keep doing. And I don't just mean in food; I mean in everything yeah. because. I don't want to sound like a dusty old person who's like, oh, in my day, but there's just so much less, going back to your point about social space, of all kinds in London, mm. whether it's independent retail, clubs, um, you know. I'm quite keen to go to the club that's in Ikea. In oh, my boyfriend's been. Really? Loved it. Really? <laughs> I just think, it's great. I just, like, but they, I just wish they just left all the furniture in. I know that just would have like been, would have been postmodern, like, <laughs> but uh, I think they needed to like sort out yeah. um, some Hazards. sound. It looks, I wonder, it looks incredible, I mean, to be honest. I don't know if that points to like the possibility of change. I just think we're wrapped up in too much. We're becoming so corporate mm. more than ever, and mm-hmm. like that's you know. My, I I just want to reiterate. Like I also love London. I want it to be the thing that I like and love. But I think there's just some kind of economic spiral going on that. Feel like it, I mean, listen. Let's you know. I I try to be optimistic, and I don't think it's helpful to to just endlessly point out the negatives. But mm. this is a, I'd say, a low point in in yeah. this in this country's history. It's a sad thing when you're a city person and you're in yeah. a city and nothing wants to gets you out of the house. Yeah, when you're That's in it, when you feeling. when you know um, what did I see on Twitter the other day? London's in its flop era. <laughs> It's it's yeah. on you know, but then again but then again like <laughs> I go to other cities and I think this city is the most diverse multicultural and if I you know like dynamic in mm. so many ways it's just very easy to like get worn down by it and I think a lot of that is just to do with the fact that people struggle financially because yeah. New York is a fucking exhausting city to live in yeah and it but there's something I think I don't know there's something about it that I think just kind of keeps you going in a way I don't know what that is coffee. I can't really put my finger on it coffee, <laughs> coffee Adderall or something Adderall yeah. I mean people are definitely on a lot of Adderall <laughs> and the rest yeah um yeah, no, like through, through, I tried to like walk around London at the weekend and think if I was here as a tourist, like I was walking through Regent's Park this weekend and I was like, if I just came here and was walking through this park and I'd never walked across this canal, I'd be like, this city is incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How lovely. Yeah. <laughs> what a it, lovely little place. <laughs> I mean, there's like great art, like obviously yeah. Freeze was just on, but separately from that, I feel like we are absolutely spoiled for, yeah. you know, cost-wise, it's, it's up and down, but like there's, you know, there is so much to do. Yeah. I just wonder if it's a, there's a little bit of apathy, I guess. I guess it's different when you get to sort of like mid thirties up, you're very grounded in your life Mm. and like leaving doesn't feel even as appealing as it once was, even if it's on some level it is, but also disrupting your whole life. Do you, can you see yourself living somewhere else? Is that part of your game plan? Yeah, I think I'm ready. Not obviously with the restaurant, it's um, difficult, but I think, so I travelled a lot this summer and actually yeah. made a real point of just like going on lots of trips and everyone was like, you're travelling loads this summer? I was like, yeah, because I actually like it. I like mm. travel and I feel good when I travel and mm. I was sort of like this, reading into this like, kind of like serotonin level, dopamine levels and I was like, I actually just like get a, like my, the reason I do a restaurant is because, because I was kind of working backwards from like, what is it that I like to do? Mm. Because I probably won't have this restaurant forever and I am starting to think about, okay, well, do I need another trade? Like, do I need to start another business? Like, yeah. what do I need to do to keep myself going like in the next 20 years? Because whilst Rita's is a profitable restaurant, it's not gonna, that's, I can't hang my, you know, no. my future on And also that. it's a lot of labor to keep it going. And it's also exhausting. Away, and I'm it's... like, what can I do that's a little bit easier? Yeah. So I am thinking about it a lot. And I um, kind of like 
analyzing what it is that makes me tick when do I feel good when do I feel down and and it I used to really apologize for this but I just love travel Mm -hmm. and the reason I do a restaurant is because I like travel research experience translating my experience that's that's kind of my process that's Mm -hmm, what I like mm -hmm, to do mm -hmm. and it's and yes it sounds like a really roundabout way of just being like well actually I just like going on holiday but no, I actually it, you don't need I to tell to, me I, no, I, I get it I, I get it but people don't necessarily always get that and I feel like I want to be a bit more clear like mm. I just I I like that that's what I like to do yeah and I, I think I've always had this unfulfilled itch to live somewhere else because I'm interested in what version of myself exists mm. outside of mm-hmm. this version yes and I wrote this in a newsletter not that long ago, but I really, I find it, the statement that like, wherever you go, there you are. Okay, to some extent, you can't escape your problems, your, you know, whatever it is, your mm. traumas. Mm. Um, but I've, I really disagree with that because I think in all the cities I've lived in, I have been a different version of myself. Yeah, and how fun. could you not be? You're like, you're a mammal. Like you respond to your physical environment. If you're living somewhere sunny, you feel different if you're living somewhere sunny and dry versus sunny and tropical. You know, there's so many... You, you, how could you not be responsive to your yeah, environment? some places I have curly hair, some places I have straight yeah, like, and like know, How could you not be... <laughs> the culture of cities is so yeah. different that you engage in them in a different way. You know, like the way that I engage in New York culture, LA culture, Mexico City culture. Of course, it draws out different sides yeah, of I like my it. personality. I like shi- I li- and I also... Um, I like shape-shifting in those spaces really like, I love it and I feel like the idea of this kind of manufactured idea of like reaching a certain age and being like right now you need to settle on yourself who no. are you where do you want to be what's your plan and I just I feel very strongly that I'm not better it's doing a trap. that don't fall into I know, it it's I a trap stop, I'm thinking about now is this really basic reference it's not basic reference Julia Fox is saying, like, Julia yeah, Fox. What saying she say? about just always ch- changing and yeah. like evolving as a person and like as a woman especially yeah. being able to be like do you know what maybe there is a bit maybe there is a possibility that down the line one two years six months I can shift into so I can be not not in a kind of um kind of falsified yeah curated Rebrand. way yeah, yeah. But maybe just in a natural way, or maybe sometimes when things come up for you that are like, oh, this maybe feels a bit different to how I have been before, you can act on it and not feel weird about it. I could talk to you for hours, Missy, and um, I don't want to take up too much of your day. Do, do you have a minute to talk about books? Do yes, you, yeah? go on, yeah. So I did ask You're you very me, late last night. Get me night. on the books. No, you don't, I mean, listen, <laughs> it's not, this isn't a test. Yeah. I just always like to ask people what they're reading or what they have read that makes an impact <clears throat> on them, especially smart people like you. So if you have any books that you'd like to talk about. I do, yeah. So I... So I, in 2018, I started a master's in anthropology of food, yes. which I absolutely loved. And just to summarize, the reason I did it is because I was feeling lost. I was like, I'm in this industry and somewhere in this industry is a care for food security, uh, politics, um, history, you know, culture. But my version of it is reduced at the moment to like industry newsletters and industry events mm. and Instagram and social media and mm-hmm. PR. And, and I just was like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, where am I? So I started reading a lot for this course. And I think I've always been better at reading nonfiction, which is a, which is a real thorn in my side, actually, because I would love to be, and I've got to put some work into it, but I would just love to disappear into a book. But I think even from a young age, I was always about facts Mm -hmm. and history 
and there's been this emergence of apart from like the kind of you know deep sociological theory that I was reading from my course which actually based on our emails yesterday I kind of pulled out some books and I was like oh I just need a winter off to read these books again because I'm Mm, desperate to get mm -mm. get back into them Um, but there's been this emergence of really great books that kind of are food are telling story bigger stories through the lens of food yeah so um so the one I've marked actually that I really really loved was Edible Economics by Ha Jun Chang who's a Korean uh, economist and mm-hmm. it's basically 12 chapters I think um t- just telling little little vignettes and like economic kind of stories through the lens of like various ingredients or kind of food food products so like prawns for example and the cultural uh, relevance of prawns in a particular society and I just feel like that I can't think of specifics in it but it's a really good book it's mm-hmm. a really good way of positioning yourself in an understanding of kind of global economics but mm. like really bite size excuse the pun um, but yeah just like a food kind of like a, like a segue kind of book mm. and I and then there was other ones like um that I read ages ago that Gabe's now rereading so he's been like reading out chapters to me because it's just a remarkable book it's called The Big Oyster by Mark Kalansky and it's the history of New York City mm. but told through the oyster trade Fab. um these are all really nerdy like food books but like it's no. amazing it's all because it's all about native settlements yeah. and actually the early kind of um pioneers and like the beginning of trade and what what trade was for for native americans and this kind of exchange of like muscle mouse like gifts and kind of the idea of like um currency the original currency being like oyster shells on strings and then settlers arriving and kind of fucking up the economy by getting more and putting more so this kind of idea of like floating the, ba- the bank it's like the mm. idea of world bank but like with oyster shells with oyster shells <laughs> which is so primitive and basic yeah. but it is where where this all began it's like yeah. the idea that america came from this, these things and actually when we were in new york recently it was flooding all over we were in brooklyn we were just like puddling the puddles of water in the apartment we were staying at and Gabe was like, yeah, that's because this part is actually built on, a, on an oyster bed. <laughs> and it's just so nice. It kind of puts you in a place where you, first of all, have a link. Because, you know, we read like, you know, I read about seafood all the time. I read about like, change, you know, what's the right fish to eat? There's always reports recently about overfishing and overfarming. Yeah. We read about that stuff because that's mm. industry news for us. It's important for us to read. But just to kind of translate that into just f- interesting, fun, historical lessons. That's a good one. If you're interested in New York, it's a really good one. I am. Um, and then there's um, a couple of uh, kind of more serious books, but um, by Carol Cunningham, who I wrote, who I read a lot. One is Anthropology of Food and Body, and then the other is A Tortilla Is Like Life. And I put them in because whilst they're a bit sort of like dense academic sort of books, they really drew me back to of just doing that course and just reading in this way really drew me back to independent publishing and I was listening to Isabella's, Isabella's um, pod with you before mm. about research and about like references yeah. and my brain went crazy when I started reading these kind of like deep sociological books about food I'd be you know you're constantly writing down the re- like you, it's like a link mm-hmm. like a chain effect mm-hmm. of like I've got to find that and these books that are particularly about like feminism you know, kind of like GCSE home ec. It's all like, you know, war studies. It's like, you know, propaganda about women in the home. You kind of touch on it when you're a kid. It feels quite basic. And then you can revisit it as an adult. And you're like, actually, 
there is so much that was impacted by the way that food and the home and domesticity was positioned mm. for women mm-hmm. in this country and around the world. And like that's always been of interest to me. And I kind of lost it in my work. And, and yeah. like, you know, so it just pulled me back to all these like old zines like Spare Rib and this other one, and Bread and Roses. Yeah. Always kind of like indie publishing things and really like ignited like a new, like a, yeah, just reignited my love for like basic print. basic print mm. and like finding those things mm-hmm. um so yeah those two books i really really liked i love Anthology that of i love a niche i mean Polit- not niche maybe it's in your niche, world but it's like i mean i always think like you know when we serve food i say this to, to this the team in the restaurant quite a lot i'm like it's really intimate what we're doing here is people trust us to yeah what we give them they put it in, inside their body it's mm-hmm. like you know it's not sex but it's like it's yeah. going inside of you it's so intimate and I always think about that as like a kind of business exchange, like a trust exchange. But then now like on a kind of philosophical level, I'm like, that's crazy. Like yeah. people come to this room and like, there's this kind of trust thing, but I was kind of interested in like how, how that exchange is impacted. And, and, then, and then the one fiction actually, Emile Zola in the belly of Paris, which is like my take, my go on holiday book all the yeah. time, just because it's so visceral and so rich, but also love the like social political messaging in it. Um, and he kind of just has these really descriptive passages of the, the markets in Paris, essentially mm. like kind of socialist fugitive on the run um, in Paris, living on the kind of underbelly of Paris, like darting amongst like crates of fish. And it's just like, it's really descriptive, but ultimately a story about um, yeah like push back on the bourgeoisie and like kind of yeah uh, he ultimately gets incarcerated I think and then um, I think Imozola himself was was yeah, what's the word exiled or something so yeah. it's a pretty bad ending but like you know um, yeah just like a great food politics yeah. book and class it's all about class and I think like the the other thing is that going back to what I was saying about having a you know central London restaurant there's the tension of food there's so much great food writing that it's like oh an ode to an egg and yeah. all this kind of beautiful stuff and actually that's great but there's so much tension food is such a weapon as well yeah and I think going on that course I realised that I have a responsibility to understand that side as well yeah and talk about it and like yeah. n- you know you can't just be like isn't it wonderful people bake for the love of bread and no. people dine for the love of dining I mean it's one of the it's probably the main marker you know one of the key markers of class differentiation what people eat on a daily basis and it's and it's and it's an aggressive weapon as well Mm. and I do a bit of uh, very loosely work with this charity called Food Behind Bars which is about improving prison food and a lot of this reading has really impacted my understanding of why that food justice yeah is important so a bit bit serious but um no it's important I mean we could have a whole other podcast conversation but the Another thing that's very real in the US and you feel is food deserts. Really? So, yeah. yeah. I, always, I always find it amazing, though, that those initiatives like the community fridges, which I always like, I'm like, this is the benchmark. Yeah. You, I only see it on Instagram. I've seen one in the wild. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, okay. They're real. Community fridge. They and he's like, real. what? And I'm like, yeah. it's got kale inside for free. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, what? But, um, you know, and I, again, I don't want to trash British culture, but they just wouldn't work here. And I've looked into it because... <laughs> The, the councils won't provide power on the street yeah. and people will just trash them. Oh. It's the truth. It's like why we can't have communal bicycles because they end up in... The, people just don't have a... We don't have a, a level of social c- collaboration. That I, I, that's a, that's a generalisation and it's not, it's not a good one. What I would say is 
it just amazes me that in a, in, a, in a city and a country that has such food insecurity, whilst there are food banks, whilst there are some great initiatives, there's lots of barriers for people just helping other people. Yeah. There's just a real, you know, it's in the way that like out of date food, like Pret, for example, I think they've got around it, but you know, they can't just give away the food yeah. because it's, unsafe and if somebody eat if somebody doesn't refrigerate their tuna sandwich and then eats it the next day and then gets sick gets sick you know and it's just i understand that but a third of all food produced goes straight in the bin globally and it's just like i can't be a restaurant person or a food person without talking about that which obviously sucks um but it's an uncomfortable truth well maybe that's a key to your next chapter yeah in life talking about it well uh, yeah no pressure yeah <laughs> um thank you so much missy for making the time to do this i really really appreciate it and um really interesting and lots of food for thought thank you